Welcome to Clarity Fun Podcast. This is episode 16. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and I'm joined today by Dr. Surrender Gangadine. We're continuing our series brought to you by Logos Theological Seminary on rebuilding the historic Christian faith. Last time we were looking at what is the church, and that especially took us to who is Christ and the Logos. And we're going to continue that today with the church as the pillar and foundation of the truth. Thanks for being here again, Dr. Gangadine. You might just cite that reference of First Timothy three fifteen, is it? Um yeah, first Timothy three fifteen. The church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. All right. Now we recently covered how the logos comes to us in several ways and the church must rebuild on the Word of God in its fullness. Tendencies to say the Word of God is Scripture written, and then go down even more um, minimal to the uh, literal meaning and not just the contextual meaning of words. So, Yeah, I think, I think when I usually hear, if you ask someone, what is the Word of God, they almost always will say the Bible or Jesus. And they won't go back to the previous senses given in John chapter 1 at all. So we have scriptures saying what the word of God is to us. And so it's okay to appeal to the um, scripture, but it must be the scripture understood. And the scripture also speaks about, in Romans one twenty, what may be known of God is eternal power and divine nature, clear so that men are without excuse. And that's at the beginning of... Paul began to speak about the gospel. It must begin with the reality of sin and death and the curse and the promise and repentance and faith. Yeah, we really see that that, that order laid out, right? Especially in Romans 1 through 3. Yes. The, uh, the clarity of God's existence from the things that are made, especially the eternal power and divine nature, which is quite a lot. Yes, it does. So that unbelief is without excuse. And then getting to Romans 3, where sin is defined as not seeking and not understanding and not doing what is right. right. Yes, and the consequence of not heeding what is clear, and the progressive consequence of that as we see it unfolding in Romans 1. So this sin and death, they're both for all men in Romans 1 and for uh, the covenant people. Old Testament church or the New Testament church both have come short and now it's summed up that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and no one seeks and no one understands so that all stand in need of redemption. Yeah. This is the sense in which Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So the church is not only the pillar and ground of the truth that is in and of itself, but in relation to uh, society or the world, it is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So that also needs to be brought into focus in talking about the church and the state of the church and the need to rebuild we can maybe contrast it with other institutions of human civilization. 
we might might think about government or family or business or education. Because of sin, the family has failed in patriarchal religion and the failure of that has been seen. And um, this failure of the institutional church as well, but the church is established to uh, bring the truth to human beings, all the families of the earth. And it's a distinct institution from the family, and it is distinct from the state also. And what happens is that when the church is not salt and light in the, in the earth and to the world, the society decays. And it, the moral decay continues to such a point where it collapses under the divine judgment and rule and is restored. So God is working redemptively through history, through the curse and through civilizations rising and falling, all of that. But the church is preserved by God as the uh, instrument, the chief instrument, the first instrument of bringing redemption into the world. So if the church is not in place, it's assault and light, then it has an effect on society and society decays and collapses. We've seen this through history many, many times. The first major episode after the fall was the cumulative effect of sin and the universal judgment of the flood. We saw it again in Babel. We saw it again as uh, Israel, Abraham is called, Israel is formed, the book of the Judges. We saw it coming on under the kings through the prophets to um, taking away by Syria and then by Babylon. So time and again, the church, by failing to hold to the truth, uh, turn away. Remember, it says, he came into his own, and his own received him not. And before that, it's clear from general revelation, and the world knew him not. Yeah, that's referencing back to, to John 1, which we were discussing in the previous episode. It comes as reason, and men neglect, avoid, resist, and deny reason in the face of what is clear. That's a very strong uh, way in which men resist revelation. And ultimately, all resistance of revelation comes down to denying the light of reason, and we could point that out. Far from saying enlightenment philosophy has overcome the church, we say that's a pseudo-enlightenment, it's not the full use of reason. Whether we take it in Descartes or Hume or Kant or Nietzsche or whoever, um, we can see the failure to use reason, and this is where the church needs to respond to the challenges that come from society. But we'll pick up on that yeah. more. Yeah, and one one thing that stood out when you're talking about the church, you contrasted with the institutionalized church, and that's interesting because a lot of people, both believers and unbelievers, when they hear church, they think about a certain institution, and they might go so far as to say, if you're not in one of those institutions, you're not really part of a church. Well, we might say, not absolutely, but ordinarily, we would say that you are in a structure uh, of that institution, a local church, um, 
And that gets us into another question about historic Christian faith and churches are more or less conscious and consistent and some have gone so far as to turn away from the faith. Yeah, that's what I was sort of thinking of was some people might think of church as the judicial system of a of a denomination as opposed to the continuation of the teaching of the apostles. Exactly. So we can distinguish between uh, the historic Christian faith and measure any church in relation to that historic Christian faith. And even that must be uh, qualified by saying it is the historic Christian faith based on understanding. We remember that there's a lot of discussion that goes into the formation of it, and it takes reflection to understand the discussion, the assumptions and implications. And that's, at that point, we're dealing with the reality of sin and various levels to which we come short in seeking God and understanding what is clear. But all of that is to be unfolded as we come more and more to say why there's a need to rebuild the historic Christian faith. A lot of it is summed up in that very title, Rebuilding yeah. by Laying Foundation yeah. More Deeply. Now, the church is a pillar and ground of the truth, is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The church is to preach the gospel. Here's another way in which everyone will agree, yes, but what they mean by that varies. I think we can agree, at least in word, that uh, the gospel is preached by Christ, John the Baptist, and others in the words, repent, the kingdom of heaven right. is at hand. Now, why we agree on the, those words, we have to understand them more deeply, properly, more consciously and consistently. We're to repent of root sin of not seeking and understanding what is clear about God, not simply the fruit sin. So that has to do with our understanding of evil. Yeah, distinguish those for us. What does that mean? Because uh, I don't know if people would normally use those those phrases. They just say sin. You mean distinguish root sin and fruit sin? Yeah, I'm not sure people really know what that is. Well, I could point to the scripture for that distinction. In Romans 3, we spoke of earlier, no one seeks and no one understands, and all have sinned. And the, uh, that's universal sin, no one seeks and no one understands. Whatever the fruit sin might be in terms of stealing and lying and killing and adultery, etc., those would be the fruit coming out of this root sin of not seeking and understanding and the state of spiritual death that comes from root sin not understanding the meaning of things and therefore in a state of meaninglessness and with that boredom and with boredom we go to excess to overcome that and the excess is transgression of the law in guilt so we're talking about root sin of not seeking and not understanding the meaning of things, and spiritual death, which is meaninglessness, and the fruit that comes out of that from boredom and transgression of the law of God. It's fruit sin. If you want to put it uh, in terms of the law, we'd say root sin is the very first commandment. Putting ourselves in the place of God, before God. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. And see that exemplified in the garden. You shall be as God in a particular regard in knowing good and evil. So the scripture abundantly uh, makes this clear by example as well as uh, precept. Yeah. And um, 
so we have roots in in the first commandment. It can also be spoken of in a summary, not loving God with the whole heart, in this case putting self, the creature, before the creator. And that was my struggle. Uh, I'm not the author of my being and trying to be that. Um, well, we'll leave leave at that point and continue here. And that, well, that's the that's the universal piece of it. When we say all have sinned, because all people haven't done specific sins, right? But all people have done this sin, because it says no one seeks, and no one understands. And the context says no one understands what is clear about God from general revelation. Yeah, and that's what Romans one twenty is saying, and it's not just clear in an intuitive way, but it's clear to the by the word of God, by reason. That's another yeah. big division within the church about the census divinitatis and intuitional knowledge of God. Yeah, everyone deep down knows God. And a cognitive knowledge of God that is understand. Notice that Romans 1 says, uh, be understood by the things that are made. And understanding yeah. comes from diligently seeking he that comes to God must believe that he exists and and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. It's not casual, yeah. spontaneous. Yeah, and it's somewhat easy to show if someone if someone says everyone knows God, it's easy to show that they don't understand by just a couple quick questions. Exactly. So the sensitive inatatus, if there is one, doesn't get to that understanding. Yes. And in many of the, the writings of those who speak about it, we see that there's a lot of differences and confusion about what is the content of this knowledge. Yeah. Um, but again, that's another story for another time. Now, the church is to preach the gospel. And in connection with preaching the gospel, repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that views involves not only repent of root sin and what evil is, but what is the good, the kingdom of heaven and what does that look like? We picture have a picture of that at the end of the book of Revelation 21, the kingdom of God. Magnificent, um, but more than that, it is in size, um, the, the magnitude, the greatness of it in terms of the size, 1,200 miles long and wide and high. And yeah. sparkling as a diamond. Uh, it's a picture of the city of God, uh, the people of God, with the work of culture, expressing that in every aspect of life, completed. So that's what we're to seek. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's going out now into all the world as it has uh, since the days of Abraham to Jesus, and all the nations to be gathered into the kingdom of God. Yeah, it says, it's interesting because it says the nations will walk by its light. Connecting up with what, what we talked about in the previous episode about the logos as light, as understanding. Yes. So that's part of the light that comes into the world in the preaching of the word. Not only in general revelation, but in redemptive revelation in the scripture, they'll walk in that light. This is a part of the fullness of making God known. And so we have in the statement, repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand, an assumption of an understanding of good and evil. 
basic concepts, most basic concepts. And this is what the church is to do. And then the church is to receive repentant sinners. And this is where we've not done the work in the church as we should. We've not called for repentance of the root sin of not seeking and understanding what is clear about God. And the church is to receive repentant sinners and it is to specify what the sin is and call men to repent. And there should be, by the working of the Spirit in connection with the preaching of the Word, a conviction of sin and death, inexcusability for not seeing what is clear, and understanding the effects of that as spiritual death in our lives individually, in our lives as families, in the churches, in the culture, meaninglessness and all the consequences of that, the vanity of life that comes with that. So the church is to receive uh, repentant sinners and men are to come to worship God. So the church is for worship and they're to worship in spirit and in truth. They're to come through um, confession of uh, faith in Father, Son and Holy Spirit they to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit in the person work of each person of the Trinity in the particular unique aspect of the work and the unity of that work. And they to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in spirit, not just with, under, with understanding, not just outwardly in a kind of dead uh, ritual and in truth according to who God really is. So the church is to preach the gospel and the church is to for worship God in spirit and truth and for discipleship. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to all peoples to observe all that I have commanded. So it begins with repentance of root sin and it progresses to cleansing from that root sin more and more and from all fruit sin. And that's interesting because we've been part of the theme we're looking at is the state of the church, which we'll probably get to in the next episode. Yes. We're getting there first. Before we're doing that, we're defining what the church is. Yes. And so as you're mentioning this, coming to the church through repentance, I'm thinking about how when we limit what we're repenting of, we might make it very bare and minimum, yes. a very limited view of sin. Then we, the church doesn't require repentance of not seeking God. And people come into the church who aren't repenting of that. And that then accounts for some of the condition of the church. And people have come into the church by baptism without the reality that baptism signifies that is being regenerated. So it's easy when we're not seeking, that we're not understanding. We take these words in a minimal, literal uh, sense and the church is filled with unbelief remaining in believers without discipleship to sanctified through the truth and with a false hope of rapture or heaven as against the earth filled with the knowledge of God. So this is why we say we need to rebuild the historic Christian faith. It is there but the propensity of man is not to seek and not to understand so that these words are taken in the bare outward meaning and the evidence of this is that there's so many divisions within the church. 
Yeah, that get, that's a that's perhaps the most obvious thing when we assess the ch- condition of the church, the state of the church, is how badly divided it is. Hardly able to agree on anything. It's no way the pillar and ground of the truth. It's not being salt and light. And the society is in decay. And anyone who understands this is obligated to bring this message to the church and persevere in doing that. There may be a voice crying in the wilderness for some time, but cry nevertheless and trust God to make his word known. So all peoples are to be discipled, not just um, converted in a minimal sense, but discipled, teaching to obey all that Christ has commanded, the law in all of its fullness by which the kingdom of God grows. So in the initial message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a summary of a lot of things. And we need to insist that that is the gospel and that is the gospel that is to be preached. And we may uh, preach a minuscule aspect of that as we want to in emptying things of meaning. Now, the church is the kingdom of God and it's an age-long and agonizing spiritual war against the kingdom of darkness. And instead of being taken captive by the falsehoods of the kingdom of darkness, it must take every thought raised up against the knowledge of God captive to the obedience of Christ. So that's the work that of the church. That connects really well with, with Romans 1 also, the inexcusability of unbelief. The church should be able to show that unbelief is without excuse. Yes, and this is where my journey began when I asked persons in the church bringing the gospel to me, how do you know that God exists? And the avoidance, the neglect and avoidance of that question. Not just neglect, but avoidance. Putting it off, not getting it. That was a very difficult and disturbing think for me I was basically left on my own to um, figure it out I did not want to compromise myself by believing something without knowing based on understanding the truth of it and when I say last under this in terms of the church and what is a church for the church as the kingdom of God and under Christ is to complete the work of dominion in which the earth is filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, we see how far the church comes from this in even thinking that this is its work and that this will come about. Yeah, I might mostly think of it as a waiting for uh, the rapture, which is, which is not this at all. A, go- a good part of our popular evangelicalism is in its literalist interpretation, tied up with the rapture. But even that literalism is not taking all that it says. It's just very selective. And if it's not that, there's the uh, position which says, well, when we die and go to heaven, we'll receive the fullness of the blessing. As again saying, no, there's a work that was given to mankind and Christ in place of Adam will do it. He'll exercise... That's a very good point here that that's... That's not, this is in contrast to heaven and the beatific vision also. Because people who maybe are somewhat uh, against the rapture, they might say, oh yeah, the rapture or premill dispensationalism is wrong. But then they put in its place the beatific vision, which is also otherworldly. 
And that's gone on in the history of the church, going back to the effects of Greek thought that was addressed in the Apostles' Creed and Platonic dualism and denying the validity and importance of creation as revelation and attempting to get a revelation by some direct contemplative vision in heaven. Many, in many aspects, many parts of the church have uh, affirmed that Protestants and Catholics and Eastern Orthodox alike, the influence of Greek dualism is still with us. There's been a reaction to, against Hebraic literalism to Greek dualism. And these are the two major sources of influence coming down in the church, and both of those have to be addressed. We hold up the vision of the earth filled with the knowledge of God as a way in which we're called to know God over and against the doctrine of heaven and the beatific vision. We're not in a position to see how it is that um, what the church is supposed to do and how far it comes short, and we can begin to address that further in the next episode. Yes, that's right. We've gotten a good picture of what is the church and then the work of the church in discipling the nations in the knowledge of God. And so now, now we can look at, because one of the things we've talked about is the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we've had over 400 years since then. And so we're wondering, uh, or, or, you know, roughly 400 years. So we're wondering, uh, all right, what is the, what are the challenges that have come up and what do we need to address? Uh, what does the church need to address next? That's a great point on which to, uh, end. We'll pick up with what does the confession say about uh, these things. Maybe say a little bit more about why the confession? Why do we keep coming back to that? And then uh, what does the confession say? How we've come short of that? And what have been the challenges in the last 400 years? We'll try to address that in our next episode. Yeah, so th thank you for being with us for our series, Rebuilding the Historic Christian Faith. And thank you for your uh, input, Dr. Gagating. Thank you so much, Owen, for having me here.